0: Frontier Missions Journal: Stories of Hope for the Unreached, with Adventist Frontier Missions. With an ominous cloud cover forming overhead and an unpredictable wind beginning to blow, the building seemed to beckon come even though there scrawled on the fence in dripping red paint were the Turkish words, stay out. The red paint warning did not, however, minister to our hungry stomachs and our backpacks were feeling awfully heavy and so, Brock and Joseph dared talk to the farmer anyway. angry dogs and one kind young farmer later, we received the white flag to come and set up camp. I chose this story because it was one of the most dramatic times for me to see God's hand clearly leading. I felt his Holy Spirit and I obeyed and I got rewarded. And uh, the reward I got was not what I was expecting but I sure have a greater admiration for Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, who are constantly working even where there are no missionaries. Welcome to Frontier Missions Journal. Join Barnabas Hope, AFM missionary to Turkey, in his story, The Hunter and the Healer. After hiking for several days, we had picked up our car and had driven to the base of a giant mountain for the last leg of a 10-day trek. We'd spent our day visiting some sites from the Apostle Paul's journeys, and now the daylight was quickly fading. We parked the car around 5.30 p.m., threw on our backpacks, and began our upward quest in full gallop. We were loaded for a four-day climb. Our team consisted of our S.M.'s, Joseph and Shadrach, and one Turkish Adventist named Barak, and myself. We hiked with determined spirit for three hours and then started thinking real hard about finding a campsite. We had spent some days already camping on different beaches, thus the rocky wilderness terrain we now passed looked like a real challenging mattress. In the light of dusk, our hearts were buoyed as we saw a farm a man working in a garden and some abandoned buildings. With an ominous cloud cover forming overhead and an unpredictable wind beginning to blow, the buildings seemed to beckon come, even though there scrawled on the fence in dripping red paint were the Turkish words, stay out. The red paint warning did not, however, minister to our hungry stomachs and our backpacks were feeling awfully heavy and so Brock and Joseph dared talk to the farmer anyway. Two angry dogs and one kind young farmer later, we received the white flag to come and set up camp. From our team's rations, we threw an onion, a red pepper, two handfuls of rice, green lentils, and a vegetable seasoning cube into a tin pot. Saving ourselves the effort of building a fire, we thought perhaps the handsome, gentle farmer might have a stove. This proved true, and while the stew brewed, we became acquainted with the surroundings. The cabin was set on the edge of a tall pine forest. The side was a lovely meadow filled with flowers, goats, and a rustic stone barn. By the barn were millstones that were centuries old and a small patch of grass near an apricot tree. That grassy patch, after relocating a small turtle and six dozen rocks, seemed a soft and suitable place for our beds. The cabin itself was made of concrete with a plywood porch. The term redneck may help some to visualize the assortment of tools and junk that laid around everywhere. Later, we were to use the toilet and found that the owner kept his chainsaw in the bathroom. Running water was ice cold from a spring and there was no electricity. When night finally fell, it was a blanket of darkness without edge. Because my tin pot was cooking on his wood stove, it now only seemed appropriate to invite the farmer to join in our dinner. He was glad for the invitation to his own house. His aged great-aunt soon came in from the fields with her goats and spread out a tablecloth on the floor of the living room. Turkish carpets covered the floors, and we sat down cross-legged with a, a corner of the tablecloth on our laps and watched as she put a big, dark, greasy pan of fried goat meat in front of us. Our hosts ladled out and lapped up the lentils, and we all laughed with the old auntie as she thought it hysterical that they had eaten all of our lentil soup first, only to discover we were all vegetarians when it came time to serve up the goat. Soon we were joined by another man named Nevroot. We quickly learned it was his house and the farmer we had met was Nevroot's nephew. Nevroot was a strong man in his mid-fifties with a big black mustache that danced as he talked in happy, boastful ways. He was single and I could sense he was all too conscious of his loneliness. He told us immediately of his lost love. He had fallen in love at age 16, built a house for the girl he hoped to marry. He even engineered a mountain road to the house. He loved the girl deeply and set all heart hopes on her. He was called to the military and upon his return, found the girl was married to someone else. I felt sympathy for Nevrut as he never fell in love again. With the light of a single lamp, Nevrut bragged of his involvement in fighting the PKK, a Kurdish terrorist group. Nevrut had killed a lot of PKK in the nearby mountains. He belonged to a civil fighting corps trained to eradicate these terrorists. As we listened, I thought of my own mission to Muslims and how this Muslim man might feel about that. He then brought out his prized possession, a long-range rifle. It was a Remington yacht 6 and had cost him nearly $20,000, so he said. He was glowing with admiration as he passed the heavy weapon over to me to inspect. After pulling out a special rapid-fire multi-shell shotgun and some other weapons, and after a few more rough man hunting stories by Nevroot, each ending with the words, Allah is great, Barak, my Turkish friend, nervously whispered to me in English. Don't say anything about religion, please. Under the circumstances, it seemed a reasonable request. Despite his stories, I felt something kind in Nevrut and felt compassion for him. Nevrut offered to let us stay in his house for the night of which we were so glad. He put out big cushions on the floor and all slept like royalty with Nevroot in his very bedroom. As I lay on Nevroot's floor, I thought to myself about studying the book of Jonah and how the Assyrians used to decorate their guests' chambers with pictures of torture, and I thought about the arsenal that Nevrut had just pulled out and shown us, and I thought how, perhaps similar to the Assyrians, he was attempting to keep his guests in check. We crawled into our sleeping bags. Our host said he would come in a half an hour as he was going to make his last Muslim prayers of the day. While Nevroot prayed, I too prayed. I thought about giving him my Leatherman knife for a gift, since he prized American things so highly. But no, what good would another knife do for this man? Then for a moment I thought of my Turkish New Testament that I kept in my vest pocket. Lord, if there is any way, please help me to get a Bible into this home. I thought perhaps of just leaving it under some blankets or under his bed or perhaps on top of his gun case where it would be discovered after we left. No, that would be cowardly. God's ways are above my ways, as I would learn the next morning. I thought and I thought, and then I slept. The roosters on the ranch obviously were not weary from hiking. They arose far too early. Again we gathered around the living room floor for a meal. The old auntie had prepared a breakfast of olives and tomatoes and noodle soup for us. Nevrut motioned to the strips of meat as if trying to convince us I should try them. I told him that I had chosen to be a vegetarian when I was only eight years old. No meat, no alcohol, no cigarettes, no drugs. I keep my body like a mosque, clean for God. Nevrut said, Now only you must be circumcised. I answered in such a way that Nevrut came over to me and hugged me and kissed me on both cheeks and said, We are brothers. I said, God's way is the only way to live. As I had just opened the topic of religion, Barak now looked at me like a man nearing his execution. Nevrut sat back and began to tell a new story. He had suffered from a physical problem. It had begun with a toothache. A doctor told him to put some whiskey on it. Instead, Nevrut drank the whiskey, together with eight painkillers, all in one dose. It ended up paralyzing half of Nevrut's face. I listened closely, not knowing where the story would lead. Nevrut continued. One day, my commanding officer called up 130 men from my area to go and fight the PKK. He told me to stay behind and watch the area. As I was keeping scout on a key trail in the forest, I saw a group of 17 men walking. Oddly, they were swinging a little girl with linked hands. Assuming they were PKK and had kidnapped this girl, I routed the group and met them on the trail with my rifle loaded and aimed at the leader. With raised arms, they declared their loyalties to the Turkish Republic and convinced me they were not PKK men. They convinced me to the extent that I invited them all to my house for a meal. That is so Turkish, as uh, hospitality is exactly what uh, he was giving us. Nevrut now spoke so clearly that I could take in all of his words, with Baruch also translating to the student missionaries. Nevrut told, At the meal, one of the men, a German man, gave me a small book about the prophet Jesus. What this book was, I don't know, because Nevrut described several stories that had no biblical harmony. For example, Mary getting pregnant by smelling a lily that the angel Gabriel had given her. Nonetheless, the book was about Jesus, and Nevrut learned in this book of the power of the healer Jesus. For eight years, Nevrut's face had been paralyzed, and he himself was in desperate need of healing. Nevrut carefully described for one week, five times a day after making namaz, which is the Muslim prayer time, he says, I would rub that little book gently on my cheek and jaw, praying that Jesus would heal me. Nevrut's eyes glimmered and his mustache danced as he finished the story, just that way I hoped it would climax. As he said, and after one week, I was totally healed. Allah is great. And praise to Jesus, I inserted. He is a healer and has power to hear and answer our prayers because he is alive. There's much more to this exciting story. Join us next time for part two of The Hunter and the Healer. To support Barnabas Hope and the Turkish Project, go to afmonline.org.